0: Welcome disciple makers and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies 6 main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long, for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bulsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast.
1: Thank you for engaging. And if you're new, you've picked a great day to engage with our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family. I've got Dr. Tim Smith, who is an AMS, Association Missionary Strategist, for an association in the northwest of Georgia, and has served here at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. As a matter of fact, much of what I do as a Discipleship Catalyst is building on the firm foundation of what Tim has invested in for over two decades with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And Tim is an author. He's an editor, a conference speaker. He is a fan of all things Atlanta Braves and a person that I count as a close friend. We also have Dr. Josh Hunt who has served in the local church there in Las Cruces, New Mexico for over 3 decades. He's authored many books, I believe 11 or more. He's spoken at conferences all over the nation. Has served as a major voice in church growth as a matter of fact, I remember reading a book, you can double your class in 2 years or less. As I was in the local church in the grind and I thought, man, if this guy's figured it out, I'm going to implement it and I actually did. Implemented many of those principles and helped me in the local church. He led Calvary Baptist there in Las Cruces when they tripled in attendance and currently speaks alongside Tim Smith for Sunday School University in Atlanta. We'll make sure that we get those links for Tim and Josh in the chats as the broadcast progresses. Now, Josh, Tim, welcome to our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family. Good to be here. Thank you, Thank Scott. You bet. Good to be Good to be with y'all. Sure is. And I really am excited to have both of you joining us And for those of you who are viewing, we're super glad that you are with us as well because our desire is to help you take the next step in leading a healthy disciple-making church. Now, I do want to give a couple of reminders here. Our Our team has a reservoir of resources that we want to give away. So make sure that you leave a comment and get entered into a drawing. And if you share the link, you'll get double entry into that drawing, and you just may find yourself with a free weekend at Tim Smith's Mountain Chalet in the Swiss Alps. So if you missed the full discussion, you can listen afterwards on YouTube, Instagram, all podcast platforms, or you can view it on our Georgia Baptist Establishment Facebook group, where it's going to live eternally or until the next news cycle makes us politically incorrect. Okay, fellas, let's jump in. Y'all ready? Sure. Sure. Awesome. Well, Josh, so tell me about Las Cruces, New Mexico, man. You've been there 30 years, right? I've been there 30 years. Been there forever. Yes.
2: Awesome. Now, are you still serving there at Calvary? No, I don't serve at Calvary. I pastor, So I live in Las Cruces. I pastor a small church in the country. Sometimes people talk about a small church of 50 or 100. Yeah. I'm hoping we can get to 50 or 100 someday. Awesome. <laughs> but we're, we're a church of about 25, 40, I like to say 25 farmers, 45 minutes from the closest stoplight. I love it. And uh, actually working on right now, transitioning to be a, a, start a Hispanic church in our church and probably be a Spanish church. Eventually Uh, the the population has shifted when the church was started. It was about half Spanish. half. And when I say Spanish, I mean, Spanish speaking in the home, Um, about half Spanish speaking about half English. Well, now it's about 90, 10. Yeah. Um, And so it's the location is such that you would never start a church there if there weren't an English speaking church there. So anyway, we got a guy came last week and uh, moved into the parsonage and uh, he's going to help us start a Spanish work. And that's what we're doing. So, Well, look, I have always enjoyed your heart for ministry and have read many of your
1: books and so grateful to have you on today. Now, Tim Smith, Uh, one of my favorite people. And I've always said Tim is that guy who's forgotten more about Sunday school than I even know. So glad to have you on here as well. Matter of fact, I think uh, now that you are not at GBNB and over living in White, Georgia, I believe you are the mayor probably of the Uh town.
3: Now you've been there a while and kind of running things. They just uh, call on me to scrape the roads when it snows. (laughs) So I'm just in charge of the road department. Well, sounds awesome.
1: Well, Tim, I got a question for you. Yes, sir. Aaron Earls with LifeWay Research, he mentioned an article recently, and he talked about how 20 years ago, most churches were growing at least 5% annually. Now he had done some updated research and showed that only one in three now are growing 5% or more. So just my question for you, what do you guys see in churches as they regather after COVID, but let's zero in specifically for the Sunday school and that that on-campus Sunday morning groups. What are you seeing?
3: Yeah, it uh, it, it has been a um, incredible journey, year and a half, two years almost in this pandemic period. Um, you know, I can I can remember that weekend in March when we shut down, and we just you know everybody's like, oh, you know. Uh, even before, it was like, oh, you know, this is this is not coming. Nothing's going to happen. And then, and then when it it did happen, you know, uh, it'll be a couple of days, couple of yeah. weeks.
2: Well, when they, they, just when kept... they when they when uh, they major sporting events, that that was kind of the light going off for me. Yeah, that was the
1: shock to the system. Yeah. So it it,
2: it was uh, more than what anybody
3: ever thought ever had experienced we they didn't teach a class about this in seminary uh there weren't any books or seminars to help and so um we have been going through this um uh, building the airplane in the air if you will and so or, or as i've said we're changing a flat tire going 65 miles an hour but what we're seeing what i'm seeing is is right now Uh, uh, attendance is not back to where it was Um, pre-COVID. I'm seeing in most churches between half of what they had um, before COVID, uh, at best 75% uh, back um, in attendance. And so uh, it's been a slow comeback and, and still uh, we're not out of the pandemic yet. So, so about 75% is what, what we're seeing um, on a national average of coming back to on-campus Sunday morning, Sunday school uh, yeah. groups. And so I, I, I say that because I don't want pastors, uh, Sunday school directors to be discouraged uh, if they're not back to where they were before covid it's just a different world. So much has happened in this in this year and a half, two year period. That, That's a great uh,
1: thought, Tim, because a lot of the pastors that we're seeing right now, you know, and we would hate to admit this, but we do tend to draw a little bit of our self-esteem based on how well things are going. It's a terrible way to do ministry, yeah. but a lot are, you know, when they're only seeing 30 or 40% come back and they feel like a failure. And yeah. you brought up a great point, because I think it really is important that we don't attach our value to the attendance in our church at, a, at any point in our ministry, specifically
0: now.
3: Yeah. And I and I would say a, a better way to gauge, you know, what's going on is not the total attendance uh, on a weekly basis, but what, um, percentage of your groups are back. Mm. You know, uh, if you had five Sunday school classes before COVID and you got four that are meeting right now, then that's, that's a victory. So, yeah. so, so just know that, uh, it, it's a long journey that we're going to be on. And, uh, it's, it, it, uh, it it's not what it was before, and be encouraged. So, but I will say this: there, there's two things that I'm seeing that are that are critical, and that is this: um, the importance of the relationships, the connections. And, and I'm not talking about the typical, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm fine. You're fine. We're all fine here at this fine First Baptist family. You know that that superficial. Church stuff, you know, where we're, we're not real, but we're we're really connecting, knowing each other, knowing our hurts, knowing our joys, knowing, you know, just basic things. Those relationships are critical. And what, what I'm seeing is the churches, the groups, the Sunday school classes that had that kind of deep relationship um, with their classes and with their group members, those groups are coming back. Uh, and, and, and thriving, but, and even thrived during the pandemic. But those churches that did not have relationships, did not have connections, didn't have family in their groups, and they were more about just coming to cover a lesson and hearing someone preach the lesson, um, those groups are struggling uh, because people, uh, more than ever, uh, realize their need for relationships, and so that's an important factor. If, if if your Sunday school class has not built connections with your people, you've got to do that. And then, and then also the, uh, with that, I've seen a, a transition in in teaching style. It, it, hmm. it was it was so interesting to watch the progression during the pandemic. As as classes tried to go online and they became um, you know just a talking head uh, and and no interaction. Uh, I, I can remember one Sunday school class that I jumped into and and watched. There were actual people asleep on the screen uh, <laughs> and, and and not just you know when a deacon's meeting. It was a Sunday school class and uh, and and they were asleep. Uh, but, but the change is this, we, we have a, been about, as I said earlier, preaching the lesson.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: There is such a desire for, for engagement, discussion. Um, people desire to be engaged, not only with God's word, because that's so important, but they desire to be engaged with each other and to hear from each other. So whether you're doing it online uh, or whether you're doing it in person, there is such a desire for people uh, to be engaged. And so it's changed the way that we teach. If all we're doing is lecturing, yeah, preaching the lesson, uh, our people are not getting it and they're not growing and, and they don't stick and they don't stay. That's so, a great,
1: thought. That's so I a would great say,
3: thought. I would say the two things is emphasis on relationship and connection, going deeper than the we're fine uh, you're fine, we're all fine here, but relationships and, and engagement, discussion with the yeah. teaching, so that's that, that's what I'm seeing. That is exactly.
1: beautiful, because Tim, I think one of the, or really the two beautiful aspects of the gr- small group experience is that it's so different than the large group, because in, in that small group, you can have the discussion, you can interact with the word, people can process, and they can talk, which you don't get in the large group, and then you also have that ability to create what I call the 2 a.m. relationship, which people think, oh, I love my pastor. You know, they think they're connected with the pastor because he tells stories about his kids every Sunday morning from the stage. But what I'm trying to help people understand is you really don't know your pastor. You're really not connected to your pastor because you only hear stories about his family. If you're not eating lunch with him and engaging in, in fruitful conversation back and forth... You don't really know him as well as you need. It's such an important deal that what I call the thumb of our discipleship, which is that, that Sunday school class or that group experience. Um, just love it. Now, Josh, uh, let me transition here, turn the page on that topic. Uh, Ken Braddy wrote a, an article, and in it, it was called 25 Reasons Sunday School is Declining. And, and it wasn't in all areas, but it was in certain areas. Now, what do you think will be the future of Sunday School for churches in America and maybe specifically Georgia, if you have any thoughts
2: there? Well, let me let me first piggyback on what Tim was saying. I, I visited a church years ago, not too many, maybe five years ago uh, in Beaumont, Texas, we did a conference there. And it was just after maybe six months or so, maybe a little more <laughs> after they had had a big one of the big storms had come down there. And uh, it just devastated that town. And They actually shut down church for about three months, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and they had all their people on Sunday morning doing service projects, do, going out and budding out homes and and uh, so on, but they didn't have Sunday morning services for, uh, my memory is about three months, mm-hmm. and then when they got back together, it was about, and I say, tell a story to say, to me, that church was a microcosm of what the nation, it happened in the nation, and that, and that when they came back, it came down to back, I'm saying, I'm thinking about 75%, And as I talked to the minister of education, whatever he's called, (laughs) they don't call him that anymore, but anyway, discipleship pastor or whatever he's called uh, as, as we kind of chewed on that a little bit, my observation is much of that is just habit. And Mm. I think this whole COVID experience is a good reminder to us of the importance of teaching about the importance of habit Mm. that um, you know, the Bible says, uh, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Yeah. And he's speaking about people who, who didn't become atheists. They didn't, they didn't have a bad spiritual, whatever, whatever. They just missed a Sunday here because their in-laws were in town. And then they missed another Sunday because they're sick and then this and that. And so now it's been a month and then they, they just got out of the habit and we do yep. that with, with our quiet time. And we do that with our, um, uh, church attendance, and we do that with all kinds of exercise, you know, all, all kinds of things. And I think those of us who teach, it, that COVID is a good reminder wake up call to all of us that we need to continually teach about the value and importance of habits. I, I, th- I don't want to overstate the case, but I think Christian living is largely about forming a handful of habits, mostly starting your day with your Bible in your lap, attending church on Sunday, and so on. And because truthfully, you know, I, I say to my people often, I don't. I don't actually. If if I wasn't paid to go to church, uh, (laughs) I wouldn't go to church because I'm disciplined. I tried really hard. I didn't want to, but I really got to. And truthfully, I didn't do it. I didn't do it for any other reason other than that's just what I do on Sunday morning. And Mm. my my quiet time is the same way. I don't. I'm not disciplined to do a quiet time in the sense of like forcing myself to do something I really don't want to do. I've just had a quiet time for decades. I wouldn't know how to start my day except other than to start my day with the Bible on the lap. And I think those of us who teach ought to be reminded because of COVID of the importance of, and and my observation is if you Google how to start a habit, it'll tell you it takes about 20 days. Well, they've actually done research on this Mm -hmm. and it actually takes closer to hundred days, depending on what the habit is. Right. If you want to start a habit of eating the Snickers every day, it doesn't take very long. But, yeah. <laughs> well, Josh, you... hey, let me, let me dig down because I think you're onto something right here. Um, Tim O'More would call
1: it a habitude. I would call it a, a rhythm. I think they're critically important. Absolutely. So, what would you say? And, Tim, feel free to jump in here. What do you guys say, think would say if you say, here, here are two or three of those habits, habitudes, rhythms that are very important? For the Christian, because I think if we can talk about that just briefly, that some of those who are viewing they need to know what those are, because those are things that we can talk about and we
3: can
2: help to set up in our systems. Well, to me, clearly, the absolute, positively single most important one is what's generally called a quiet time. I usually use the this little phrase: starting your day with your Bible on on your lap. And I, I mean, and I say so often in my church that if I were to say you need to start your They would complete the sentence for me because I have said it, I I say it nearly every week. You need to figure out a way to say it. Because my observation is you do this one thing. I actually wrote a book on this a few years ago because you you read any book on spiritual disciplines and it'll list about 13 of them. Well, I can't remember 13 things, but I can remember one thing. And that is if I will start my day, in fact, my definition of disciple is just this one who regularly exposes himself to the word of God with a view to application but not moralism with a view to application in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that That's my definition of a disciple. And as, as for some, I don't know who's watching this. Is this yeah. Sunday school teachers or pastors, whoever we got, but yeah, as be a both. pastor or a Sunday school teacher, my number one thing that I am trying to do as a pastor, if I was a Sunday school teacher, this would be my number one thing to do. I'm trying to get my people to start their day with their Bible on their lap. Because my observation is if you can get, do that, it is the first domino that falls, and everything else comes. Giving comes, and learning not to worry comes, and being more loving and forgiving comes, and everything will come if we can get people to start their day with their Bible in the lap. I'm going to start preaching here. That's Amen. a great word. Amen. That's a great word. Tim, I, I, any thoughts?
3: Yeah, I'm right there. Uh, the, the number one thing that creates spiritual vibrancy in a person's life is the daily habit of daily Bible reading. Uh, yes, read your Bible pray every day, but also two things that I've found that are important. And that is um, accountability and sharing my faith, uh, being a witness, talking to people about what Jesus has done uh, for me and how he saved me and how he wants to know them as well. So I think also that's a, a, a spiritual discipline of sharing our faith. And, and another thing that's helped me uh, is journaling, writing, writing, Um, writing down my prayer, my conversation uh, with God. And so I I think those two are very important as well.
1: That's great. I interviewed uh, Donald Whitney last month and asked the same question. And he just immediately said, he said, without a doubt, the two most important spiritual disciplines or what you're calling rhythms are the intake of the word and then prayer. He talked about those. And I would even say the third one that's got to be somewhere in your top three to five is got to be the outflow of being able to just share your experience, whether you call it evangelism or witnessing or just talking about Jesus, you know, the language there, huge. That's really good. Um, Any other thoughts, Josh, before you jump into this, this other question about where do you see Sunday school heading in America?
2: No, we'll stop there.
1: Okay. Great. great. Well, let's, let's, let's turn the page then and tell us what your thoughts are about the future of Sunday School in America because I'm really interested because I get a lot of calls, a lot of emails.
2: Every conference I go to, people talk about, hey, man, where's this thing headed? Well, t- to me, as you know, you, we sent some these questions ahead of time, so I had a day or two to think about this. And as I thought about it, my, my observation is, is this. In times of change, we need to remember the things that never change. Hmm. So the things that never change is the gospel never changes. So we we know that, and I could talk about that for a while, but I will move on. the The hope of a prevailing church never changes. In other words, where and, and I think we, we we can look at the the dip of COVID and the coming back at seventy five percent. The the broader issue to me is that you have kind of a long term slide downward It's not it's not some people will talk about this deep catastrophic I don't really see it that it seems to be kind of a a gentle slope downward. And that's the bigger trend, I think we need we need to deal with, but where there is a downward trend, I think we need to be reminded that the gates of hell will not prevail against uh, us. And uh, the, the the church, and that 50 years from now, and 100 years from now, and thousand years from now, if the Lord delays His His coming, there'll be a, still be a church. And I think we Christians ought to be the most hopeful, optimistic people in that regard. That, that this is a time of adjustment, and we got to figure some things out. But we're 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 going to win this. You know, we, as the old saying goes. You know, I've read the last chapter, and I know we're going to win anyway. The gospel never changes. The hope yes. of the, the uh, of the prevailing church. To me, another thing that never changes is the principle of relationships, mm-hmm. uh, as Tim talked about earlier ago. And I go back to reading, of course, you know, you could go back to first century, but I'm not going to go back quite that far. Uh, I, I would go back to reading uh, Donald McGavern and, and, you know, his, his classic book, Church Growth book that started the Church Growth Movement, The Bridges of God. And what were the bridges? It's such an apt word picture of how the gospel gets from here to there the gospel gets from those of us who know and love Jesus to those over those who don't lo- love Jesus and what Donald McGavern discovered after studying a gazillion churches all around the world is the bridges are relationships hmm. the stronger the relationships we have and with outsiders the better the gospel is is going to spread and um, I, and as, as we know though the, the, the reason it doesn't spread many times is because, we are cursed by our own success in the sense that the, the fellowship is so sweet in the church that that I, I like hanging around my church friends and that, so over time I, I have to really work at uh, having other other church friends based that's on great my, insight. based on that uh, uh, Donald McGabn principle, uh, I stumbled across this little slogan that the core idea of you can double your class in two years or less. And my whole point here is, there, there very well could be some adaptations to this idea, but the thing that never changes is the principle of relationships that is never going to change how you figure out how to do that. in the online component blah, 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 that may change, but we, we it, it's going to be about relationship. Anyway, the way I, I summarized it was you can double a class every two years or less by inviting every member and every prospect to every fellowship every month. So mm-hmm. my, my uh, admonition is every party, every class do something fun. And when I say fun, I mean, something that is fun for you, whatever is fun for you. It may be hiking. It may be watching the movie. It may be whatever, but uh, I love this. He's talking about something else, but Andy Stanley has a little slogan. He covered him say, we would do this anyway. And and so in other words, we've done a movie night a few times and time or two, nobody showed up besides my wife and I were there, but you know what we did? Watched a movie. We watch the movie because we would do this anyway. <laughs> in other words, if you're trying to dream up something that you think would be an outreach to somebody else, um, that's not actually what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is something that I think is going to be fun. And then we want to invite every member because what we know is about half of our members are not there on any given week. Um, about two-thirds of them are showing up in, in, in any given month. But then you got about a third that hadn't shown up in a long time. And uh, if you, you can call them once and say, we sure missed you. We'd love to have you. You can call them again and say, we sure missed you. We hadn't seen you in a while. After a three or four times, you start to sound like a bit of a nag. And it's, it's hard to do that without, without coming across as being naggy. But if you call them and say, hey, listen, we're going to go do a hike this week. I'm all into hiking these days. So that's yeah. why I keep coming to these days. <laughs> we're going to go do a hike this weekend. We'd love to ha- have you join us. So we're going to go out to White Sands and do a party on the – we have a beach out here in New Mexico. It just doesn't have an ocean. It's called the White Sands. Anyway, we're gonna do something fun. We hadn't seen you in a while, we'd love to see you. And I've seen it happen more times than I could count that if you can get them to the party, you would not be able to keep them from class. Now, you, you may wanna adapt that principle, that idea in some form or fashion, and that'd be fine. But what will never change, this is my whole point, is what will never change is the principle of relationship. And the more we can strengthen those relationship within the group and then reaching out to, to love and get to know people on the outside, the, the, the better. Anybody want to interrupt me? That's great. So let, let, me, let me dig a little deeper
1: because, right. you know, when you rake, you get leaves. When you dig, you get diamonds. So I want to go a little deeper with, the, with a thought that, I like had that. presented to me one time. Is Sunday school the way we know it? The, and maybe not necessarily the way it's supposed to be, but the way it's, it's actually being lived out organizationally, typically in America. Is Sunday school broken? And here, here's my question. Is there? Is it as simple as if we would just do what Flake said and Flake's formula? It'll work, or is there something we need to shift? Is there something needs to be added to that? Does that make sense? Are you following the yeah, yeah, question there?
3: Yeah, and I and I think what Josh was saying is is it that, is that missing element or that which we forgot, and and that is. Uh, you know when uh, when I always talk to Sunday school teachers and I say, "What's the purpose of Sunday school?" And so many of them say, "Well, that's to teach the Bible." And I say, "Well, no, that's not incorrect. It's just incomplete mm, and, right, and and right. and I think that's what's broken is that we've we've made Sunday school a, a, a institutional experience, a, a educational environment, and we've made it just about a classroom, yeah. uh, about the lesson. And, and Sunday school is so much more than that. It's, it, it is the church's strategy to do the Great Commission. It's the, it's the church with its work clothes on. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so I, 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 I'm a flake formula guy, but, but yes, the relationship, the connecting with people, the loving, the getting to know, uh, being family, uh, yes, that's what's missing and needs to be uh, changed uh, in our Sunday schools. I have so many times pastors saying, well, we're going to quit Sunday school and we're going to go with home groups. Well, let me tell you, if your Sunday school's broke, your home groups are going to be broke too. Mm. Uh, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not where you do it, <laughs> it's why you do it. And mm. so I think that's Good. so important. I think, but, I, but I think the thing that's broke, if you want to use that term, is the uh, lack of emphasis on connection, fellowship, and and being the
2: family of God? That's good, Josh. Any any further comments on that? Well, I, I might push back a little bit, and Tim and I might see this uh, a little bit differently about home home groups because I, I don't I uh, how do I say this I do think there's a generation, and I think about my my my, my boys particularly. My, I have two preacher boys uh so they both got out of seminary in the last couple years and one is starting a church another is a associate pastor kind of with a view to pastoring and so they're 30-ish um obviously very committed to christ um preachers and 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 so on and i think for them and their many in their generation the whole idea of sunday school is just a little bit boring to them and i i do think and i would i mean i'm i'm People have called me Mr. Sunday School. <laughs> I, I believe in this stuff. And it's, it, it, there's a part of me, I hope my kids don't, I don't know if I want them to see this or not, but anyway, there's a part of me that kind of saddens me that they don't, they don't love it like I do. But the truth is they don't. And, and, and the truth is, Sunday School has a, a there's a branding issue. And, and uh, you know, if you've got a branding issue, um, you can try to persuade people that your brand is a good brand, or you can get a different brand. And at the end of the day, I, I pretty, I ran my Sunday school like a small group structure. In other words, I try to encourage as many groups as I could. And most of them I could get, I wanted them sit and, physically sit in circles. You know, you ask if Sunday school is broken one telltale time sign. If you walk down the hall in every class I've been in little classes that they were 12 by 15 feet and little rows, you know, little pulpit in the front and rows of four. I think what, why don't you guys just make a circle and talk here? Um, and th- there are some classes that can sit in straight rows and still create community. But I think you have created a, a, a barrier there. But mm-hmm. if, uh, if, if I were in a place where we're in a little bit bigger church, I, I, would, I would openly embrace home groups as well as Sunday school.
3: Oh, yeah. Tim, oh, yeah. You, oh, yeah. You, yeah. Good thought.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm there with
3: you, brother. I agree totally. I mean, I've done it. I've I've done both. Yeah. Because I
2: think there is a younger generation that just, home groups are cool and Sunday school is old fashioned. And it's just, it it is a hard slog uphill to try to persuade them otherwise. So you, in in other words, saying from a marketing perspective, if the customer wants to buy a blue ball and you are selling red balls, well, you can, you can either try to persuade them that red balls are really, really, really good. Or you can just say, well, why don't we just start making blue balls? Um, and yeah. uh, if, the cust- you know, if the customer wants a home group, well, I, I want them to study the Bible in groups. That's what yep. I want them to do. Yeah. Whether they do it on Sunday morning or Tuesday night, I'm not all that concerned about that. I am concerned that they get in a group and do life together. <laughs> So, yeah, I love it, Josh. That's great insight, uh, Tim, as well. And we're going to put
1: links to the book that you've uh, mentioned here as we've talked along, but also the Ken Brady article. And I've always said, you know, because like two weeks ago, I got a phone call from a guy, you know, I guess about 20 minutes from building and another guy about 20 minutes the other direction, right? They're, they're saying the same things, but they're asking for different elements, small group versus home group versus Sunday school. And here's what I told them figure out who you are, and then be very, very, very good at what you do. Don't, right. don't try to right. be what's down the street, but just figure out what it is. And we can help you with the key components that need to be in both of those. Right, And man, then just storm hell with a water pistol. Be very good right. at what it is. So, hey, let me, let me shift here because I want to get through the, to this next question because I'm, I'm really interested here. Um, I wrote in the Watershed Principle booklet that Uh, We developed, sent out last year, um, it said this, much of organizational success flows from the character of the leader and his ability to get the body of Christ to buy into vision. Now, what are the biggest challenges that are facing our church staff that have the responsibility of leading vision for Sunday school and groups ministry discipleship? So I'd love to hear from both of you guys on these, uh, these challenges that are facing yeah. um, maybe just some wisdom, best yeah. practices.
3: And, and I know that, you know, we want to, we want to say because of COVID uh, that here's the, the challenges, but the truth is uh, these challenges were here before COVID and they're here now. And that is recruiting leaders, recruiting teachers, yeah. training Teachers, training leaders, starting new groups, starting new class. Those three things are the are the biggest challenges. And they were here before, they're here now, yeah. and they're probably gonna be with us always. But the recruiting of leaders, if if nothing else, you mentioned it earlier that I'm an Atlanta Braves fan. <laughs> that if Nothing else pastors and church leaders should learn from the Atlanta Braves that were a 500 team throughout the entire season. Their best players are heard and on the bench, and they go and they recruit a mm. whole brand new half, half of their starting lineup. They bring them in after midseason and they win the World Series. That teaches us how important recruiting leaders are. We've got Mm, to have those. And and so pastor, your number one job, Sunday school director, your number one job, Sunday school teacher, your number one job is recruiting leaders. Now, not every leader that you recruit is gonna be successful. Not every leader you recruit is going to be productive. Not every leader you put in place is gonna be there in a year or five years, but you got to recruit leaders and you got to train them. And I want to say to you right now, pastor, bring your people together, Uh, start off quarterly, start off bringing them together quarterly. You say, well, what do I do? Show them this, show them a session uh, from this, download this, show it to them, discuss it.
1: That's a great word, Tim. And, And we have a discipleship consultant actually in every region that if they want to bring that person in to actually do a training or to help them develop a, a pathway to do four to six trainings, we can help you with that.
3: And so recruit, train, and start new groups. How do you start new groups? That used to be when I started out years ago, we did it by age. It's not the same. It's life stage. It's niche, niche groups. It's common interest, um, a, a, a motorcycle, uh, group, uh, a a flower group, find those common elements and start a group, start a Sunday school class, a neighborhood, uh, age of children. Uh, There are tons of ways to start groups today. So recruit the leaders. That's your job, pastor, Sunday school director, Sunday school teacher. Your number one job is to recruit new leaders train them on the job training is the best and start those new groups.
2: Hmm. Great. Great thought. Josh, any thoughts there? Well, I just want to emphasize, agree with, say amen to Tim and, 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 by, and by saying two things, number one, Jesus said, it, uh, this is always going to be the case. He said the harvest is plentiful. The what's that next word? Workers.
0: workers. You...
2: He said, mm. the problem, the problem is never going to be with the harvest. The problem is workers. And so, you know, that's as Tim said, if you're a small group pastor, your number one job is to find workers. And my observation is, it's true. It's it's the need of the hour in every church I've ever been in. Um, I've been privileged, uh, as you guys have, to be in some really big churches. I remember the first time I was in uh, First Baptist uh, Orlando, which I forget the exact numbers, but somewhere in the range of 3,000 in attendance at the time. And I, I remember thinking to myself, man, if you had this many people, look at, look at all these workers out there. <laughs> and I, and I remember my, the the minister of education said to me, he said, Josh, do you have any idea how many, how much recruiting you have to do, how many phone calls you have to make to recruit a Sunday school teacher and I want an in-reach leader, and I want an outreach leader, and I want a fellowship leader, and so on, for a Sunday school of 3,000 people, and we need preschool workers, and we need children's workers, and we need yes. all that, and, and 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 then you go to a little bitty church like mine, and you know, 25 people, and and, and you ask me, what's, what's the need of the hour? I think we're so small, we don't have any workers. Mm-hmm. Big churches, little churches, yeah. everywhere in between, and uh, I think something that Pastors ought to say often. I tell you, I I've got, I get a lot of amens I, every time I say this. I bet Tim does too. You probably do too. God so is. I'll, I'll be teaching to to uh, all age groups, and I'll, I'll uh, speak on this. And I'll say, I will say, I I guarantee you, the number one area of need in your church. I'm, I can tell you right now, it's your preschool teachers. Because your adult your adult system, you can you can find the workers out of the pool of customers, so to speak. Yeah. But the. The, the priest, you, you're, you're no matter how much you train that five year old, that five year old is not going to be able to take, to take over that class. Yeah. Um, and so, we got to get we got to constantly cast the vision for the adults to go down and teach the kids. So, anyway, that's my other thought. And I think
1: that's where the genius of the recruiter comes in those who are able to do that well. That's where their strength is because I feel like we've got to be able to give those people a vision of what they're doing in leading that group that's worth giving their life to, like that, that we can help them understand just how gospel impact, how incredibly impactful it can be when they invest their lives in other people. And then they see those people's lives changing their kids and their grandkids. And then and if, and if we can give them the vision and then walk alongside them and say, but here's the deal, I'm asking you to do this, but I'm not going to leave you alone. We're going we're to train you and my phone is always available to you i want to walk beside you in this process and then i think the starting new groups that tim Mock talked about that's the natural outgrowth when that person catches the vision invest heavily sees life change and then understands when we start new groups we'll connect new people right. just great thought guys all right hey let's let's shift to this last here because I, I want to make sure that you guys get a chance to talk about sunday school university so tell us about what you're doing with that, how that can be beneficial for our churches who are using Sunday school specifically, but even, even the small group Sunday morning Bible study ministry.
3: All right. This group is, is not a new group. This, group. this group has been around for decades. I can remember in the early 80s getting a VHS tape with this thing from Sunday school university. And I began to use that with my Sunday school teachers on a weekly basis, having no idea that years later, when Dr. Bill Toler um, became sick and unable to do what he was doing, they asked me to fill in. And I've been there ever since, about 10 years. But basically what Josh and I do is every week, we preview the adult Sunday school lesson using LifeWay curriculum. I do the explore the Bible. Josh does the Bible studies for life, and what we do is we give you about a fifteen to seventeen minute preview of the scripture, and uh, and, and we give you some helps as a teacher, and uh, and so you um, you you get uh, us teaching the scripture, and that goal that we have is helping a new teacher. They don't know what to do, how to teach. You know, they just got the book. Somebody said we meet in room three and now I'm a teacher. How do I do that? We're yeah. helping that new teacher. We're also helping that busy teacher. I mean, life's crazy. Everything's going on. And, and and you know, I, I wish every teacher that I have in my Sunday school would would spend an hour a week, an hour a day preparing uh, a Sunday school lesson, but that's not the case. So I want to help that busy teacher. And then number three, the one that we help is uh, y'all have seen him—the guy that walks in. He's got uh, eight commentaries underneath his arm. He's got uh, seventy-two pages of notes, and and he doesn't get through uh, the introduction. And then the bell rings, and it's time to go to worship. And so what we try to do is we help that that teacher narrow down. Here's what this Bible verse. Here's what these verses are about and help them be focused. That's that's great. And so what we do is we, I give them an outline. You know, you get an outline every week. Uh, We also give them about 13, uh, 10 to 13 discussion questions uh, that they can use with their group. And so it's a great uh, resource. It's been there forever. You can get it online or uh, you can get the good old fashioned DVD. But it's Sunday. Can you get, get
2: it in VHS anymore, Tim?
3: Still, <laughs> still, still uh, I think VHS. there's an eight track
1: still floating around.
3: <laughs> in the yes, we're in the museum, Josh. We're <laughs> that old, brother.
1: Uh, That's but, awesome. but hey, it's let me give a,
3: university.com.
1: Let me give a personal testimony. So, one of the things I think is is really helpful for what you guys are doing is because it's in that fifteen to eighteen minute kind of range. I can I can listen to that. It takes me about twenty minutes to get to work. So I can listen to it on my drive to get from my house to the office. And that, so I'm having this stuff percolating in my mind. So as I'm preparing a lesson, I can do that two or three days a week and just have a really good idea of where a lesson is headed so that in my preparation, man, I have got a jump start. So great job on doing that. Josh? And
3: we, we had some guys that, that during the pandemic, what they did is they sent the link of Josh and I teaching the scripture to their people. Mm-hmm. and said, watch this 15, 17 minutes. Now we're, so we're teaching teachers. We're yeah. not teaching. And so right. they, they just used this. So they sent it to them and then they used the discussion questions when they met online. Instead of it being a talking head, it was a discussion group, but they sent what we were doing uh, to their class ahead of time. So I thought that was ingenious, but that's not specifically and how we've uh, designed it.
2: Love it. Any closing thoughts, Josh? Yeah, well, just, you know, I, Tim can't do it this way because he did not teach in a local church every every week. Uh, but my my normal week uh, on Monday, I so I do two things. I do the Sunday School University things and I got my own uh, lessons called Good Questions Have Groups Talking. Yes. So at any rate, I actually am preaching the curriculum for three months from now. So Monday morning, I write the Good Questions Have Groups Talking lesson. And then I begin writing that sermon. And then about, you know, two or three hours a day, I'm working on that sermon all uh, all week. So I'll preach that sermon on Sunday, and then the following week, then I'll record a condensation of that with uh, little tips for teachers kind of thrown in. So I kind of try to teach the content, and then I say, now, let me pause and say, this is why we did this. We're going to read the scripture, but when you read the scripture, you always want to give your people something to look for before, before they read. We don't just say, we're going to read the scripture. We're going to say, as you read the scripture, look for what we can learn about whatever today. So we kind of teach some and then turn aside and say, no, let me talk to you a little bit about uh, te- teaching. So anyway. That's
1: fantastic guys. I appreciate you being on with us today. And, and I want to speak directly to our audience for a second, because listen, friends, you may be serving in a local church context that feels like maybe God left and decided to go to the church down the street, or maybe it's been months or years since you felt the Holy spirit of God move in power in your life or in your church i want you to take heart and i want you to 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 pay attention to these nuggets of wisdom that josh and tim have shared with you because you can make a difference where you are in your context with what you have in this time of craziness and what i want to encourage you to do is to go the second mile you see the power that's there in the second mile and what i would say even the third mile being that third mile christian you see in the in the ancient roman world the Roman soldiers were permitted to force their people to carry their load for one mile and give their horse a break. Then Jesus comes along to Matthew 5 and says, hey, carry it the second mile. You know, go above and beyond here. And here's why. Because in the first mile, you're powerless because you're forced to serve. The second mile, you're powerful because you chose to serve. And that, my friends, is the kind of faith and effort that will take, that's what it's going to take to create a generationally impactful future church. So I hope you all attach to these nuggets. We're gonna put links to Josh's organization, to some of these tools that we've talked about. We want you to take advantage of that. And we want you to know that you are not alone, especially if you're in Georgia. We've got consultants in every region that are here and ready to serve you. And we appreciate you joining in today. Josh Hunt, Tim Smith, thank you for being our guest today and for your long-term faithfulness and for your friendship.
3: Yes, sir.
2: My pleasure. Thank
1: you. And Lana Melton is our producer. Lana, you're awesome. Thanks for doing that for us. And i want to remind our listeners, the only reason we're able to do this is because you give to the cooperative program. So thank you. And I pray today's discussion will equip and inspire you to multiply disciples, multiply groups, and multiply churches that make world-impacting disciple makers.
0: Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org slash discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.